The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. It's good to see you. We have uh, the Lord's Supper today. And I just want to tell you up front how we're going to do this because it's a little different than how we do it. And I'm sure it's different for the guests and whatever traditions they're coming from and how you typically do it. And I want you to just feel at ease. But typically we have a minister at the table to, to uh, administer the table. But this time at the end of the service, I'm going to invite everyone into a time of just personal prayer and reflection between your, yourself and the Lord. And then I'll just say when you're ready, you can come to the table and you'll just take it, uh, take it all by yourself between you and the Lord. Take the bread. The bread represents uh, the body of Christ. Uh, and you take the, the, the juice, which represents the, the, bloody of, the, the blood of Christ. And then you can place the, uh, the cup in the can and then just return back to your seat. So it'll, it'll go pretty rapidly. Most of your time of just personal prayer and meditation will happen uh, during a time at your seat. So, uh, so that's how that will go. Uh, today we're going to look at uh, something that happened to Jacob. He gets a real bad uh, hip problem. And uh, in this... Uh, it reminded me of my back problems. Uh, I don't know, any other back sufferers here? Raise your hand. Glory, there's my fraternity of pain sufferers. And, and that's what we see. There's, I, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. You know, let's all come forward. We're going to baptize you now. No, I'm kidding. But, um, you know, when, you ha- are in, when your back is out, and, and, you know, and everyone's got their own thing, shoulders, we're, if you don't know this yet, get ready, brother. It's coming. Everything falls apart. But when you're in pain... Everything changes, uh, and there's four things that I've noticed, and I'm relating this beca- these four things because this is what we see happens to Jacob. But when, I, when my back is out, uh, first of all, I'm humbled. Uh, it's very humbling because I realize I can't, I can't do anything. I mean, when my back is out, I need everyone to help me, and it's very humbling that all of a sudden I'm very dependent on others to help, and that's just a humbling thing. Also, I see that uh, the Lord gives me great contentment in that, and, and you go, well, where does that come from? Well, as I start to heal and I have uh, several hours that are pain-free, I am the most thankful for just a few hours of no pain. I mean, you just go, man, I don't realize how much I take it for granted when I'm not in pain. And so there's a contentment that comes that I'm just grateful for every little blessing of healing. Uh, there's also a sense of compassion that those of you who raised your hand, when I see you standing on the back wall because you can't sit any longer, I'm feeling your pain. I mean, I know the pain you're in. And there's just a compassion that we have as fellow sufferers that we know the pain that you're in. And finally, there's, uh, I'll call it devotion because of the text, but really in, in, in my physical experience, it's more of, of an intensity of focus that literally all the other things that I was worried about, when your back hurts, you focus intently. I mean, it's like, I've got to get through this. I have got to figure this out. And, and devotion to the Lord when there is healing, when you get through it, it is thank you, God, that, that I am able to to walk and run and do these things that I enjoy. I bring this up because in the text, we're going to see that that's what God is doing in Jacob's life. He's going to wrestle with God. And and typically this is called Jacob wrestles with God. It's even probably written in your little, in your Bibles. There's a little note that probably above the verses that says Jacob wrestles with God. I, I would change that. God wrestles with Jacob. This is God wrestling with Jacob. And we're going to see, it sounds like he gets like jumped in the middle of the night. 
Uh, so God wrestles with us in our lifetime. The, the Bible teaches us that God is wrestling with us for our good. And some of you right now are in a point where you're tired of wrestling. And you're, you're in a lot of pain and it's maybe not physical pain. Maybe it's emotional pain, spiritual pain, physical pain. And you're just tired of wrestling and you're to the point where you want to tap out. You're like, I give up. I'm done. Well, here's, here's the point. Everyone focus. Here's the point today. Do I have your attention? There's a lot going on. Everyone focus. Here's the point. Don't give up. Don't let go in the middle of the pain. Lord, I pray that you will encourage us this morning. That as we see in this text, that we will be encouraged in the middle of the pain, never give up. Because as we see in the Lord's Supper table this morning, a reminder that you will never give up on us. That you are faithful to finish what you've started in our lives. It's in Christ's name. We pray, amen. All right, so we are in Genesis chapter uh, 31 through 36, but we're gonna pick up in chapter 32. Let me just briefly review what's been going on. Jacob has been on a journey from Bethel to Haran, back to Bethel, if you remember, and it's been a wild journey. He's been doing all kinds of crazy things have been going on, and now he has made peace with his uncle father-in-law Laban, and he says, all right, let's live at peace. Don't cross this line. You stay on your side, I'll stay on my side, and let's just live in peace. And now he turns, and now he has to face Jacob. Now, remember what mindset he has as he's facing Jacob. Where was Jacob 20 years prior to this moment? What was going on? Well, Jacob was scared to death of Esau because he had twice uh, done Esau wrong. First of all, he took advantage of him in a moment of weakness and bought his birthright from him at a, for, a piece of, for a bowl of stew. And second of all, he swindled his father out of his blessing. And so Esau hates Jacob. And he's breathing murderous threats against him. And the only thing that it says in the scriptures, the only thing that brings him comfort is his plans to kill him. That's not a good thing. And so Jacob's mom says, man, you need to get out of here. And you need to go find a wife from our family in Haran. And because Jacob, Esau is about to kill you. And so now he's gone. He's been on this journey. And now he's heading back. And he's facing his past. He's facing his fears. He's facing his murderous brother who wants to kill him and so that's the context of where we are in the story but as we uh, read these events I want you to see if you can notice there's something different about Jacob's attitude about Jacob's spirit or his character or his mindset and so that's what we're going to look at today is we're going to see that Jacob has changed and we're going to try to understand what happened. How did Jacob go through this incredible transformation? And so let's look at chapter 32, verse 3. Genesis 32, verse 3. So Jacob is heading back to Esau, but here's what he does. It says, Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. 
he, Jacob, also commanded those messengers saying, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau. Here's what you should say to my brother. And he says to my Lord. Now that's not Lord Yahweh, God. That's L-O-R-D, small letters. That means my master. He says, this is what you should say to my master Esau. Thus says your servant Jacob. I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Now, doesn't that sound different than when he left? I mean, now he's saying, listen, you are, you are, you are my, my master. You are my boss. I am your servant. I am bowing down to you. I just want to live at peace with you. Now, think about this. He was rich and powerful at this time. It, the old Jacob, you would expect to mount up his armies and attack with fierce, with bowing up in pride to say, I'm going to beat you down, Esau. Don't even think about rising up against me. But instead, he says, go to him and tell my Lord that I am coming in peace, that he is, he's the boss. I'm just here to serve. I just want to live at peace with you. And so at this point, we see there's something, there's a kinder, gentler spirit about Jacob. Whereas we knew him before as this kind of prideful, scheming, resourceful, self-reliant guy that, that kind of anytime something happened, he had a plan and he was quick on his feet and we credit him. He worked hard and, and he was scheming, but something seems to be different now in his actions and attitudes towards his brother who he knew was breathing murderous threats against him. So let's see how it, how it goes in verse 30, chapter 32, verse 6. It says, the messengers, so they went to Esau, and they returned back to Jacob saying, well, we came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. And Jacob was greatly afraid. You know, when someone's afraid, what they do next tells you a lot about what's going on in their heart. I was talking to a, a dad this morning that just had a baby, and it was some scary times. And, and he said, man, I just, I was just praying. He says, well, at least that shows you something, right? I was, at least I went to the Lord in prayer when I was like, that's great, man. I mean, when we're squeezed, what comes out, we see what's going on. So what do we see goes on in Jacob as he squeezed, and he is greatly afraid because his brother's coming with 400 men. He was distressed in verse 7. So what did he do? Well, First, he divides his people who are with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, well, if Esau comes to the one company, attacks it, then the company which uh, is left will escape. So we go, okay, that's typical, typical Jacob. He's got a plan. Now, I'm not saying that's bad. I mean, maybe it's a wise plan. But if we stop there, we go, okay, I don't really see a drastic change in Jacob. But he says, I'm going to separate all that I have <clears throat> into two camps and as as Esau comes, if he attacks one, the other ones can escape, and we're all good. But here's where we see the drastic change. Verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, help me. When I read this, I just stopped and I said, I, I think this is the first time we see in the narrative Jacob going to the Lord in prayer. 
all that's been going on in his life, all that the author has been telling us in the text to help us get to know Jacob and what he's thinking and what's going on, every time something happens, he's scheming, he's planning, he's manipulating, he's controlling, he's got to figure it out, everything except we never hear him said, we, we never hear it said about him, and then he went to the Lord in prayer. He chooses a wife, never asks God which wife. He chooses a plan, never asks God what to do. And then this is the first time we see at the tail end of his journey, he's coming back home. Not the first time he's been afraid, not the first time he's been in need, but it's the first time we are told, and Jacob prayed. He sought the Lord. Something's changed in Jacob's heart. Something's different about Jacob. He, he, he now knows, I need God. He now knows, as he's been giving lip service more recently in his life, as we saw last week, he said, look, God made me rich. God took everything from Laban and gave it to me. Ten times Laban changed my, my wages and Ten times God changed the situation so that the, the, the animals that were born made me rich. This is God. And he just kept giving God credit. But So he seems to be learning on this journey that God is involved and he doesn't have to be the guy that has all the answers to be in control. And so he goes to the Lord in prayer. And so what do we see He's praying. Let's learn from his prayer. And this is encouraging us that as we enter into struggles and strife and turmoil and difficulties and when we're, when we're afraid or when we're uh, struggling and want to give up, this is teaching us we are learning with Jacob to go to the Lord in prayer. And here's what he prays, continuing in verse 9, 32, 9. O Lord, who said to me, you said this to me, Lord. You said, return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. You said, Lord, that this is the way I should go, and that you were going to take care of me. You said you would protect me, you would be present, you would protect, and you would provide. Now, Lord, remember your word. And that's how we should pray, that as we are going through life and we are struggling and we want to, to give up, we should say, wait, Lord, please remember your word to me. You promised in your word that you will finish what you started in my life. You promised that you would bring this to completion. You promised that you would protect me, that you would never leave me, that you would never forsake me, that you love me, that nobody can snatch you and snatch me out of your hands. Lord, these are your words to me. And you open your Bible and you quote those scriptures back to the Lord in prayer because your confidence is in God to keep his word. Not in yourself, but in God. And so you cry back to God the things that he has said to you about how he will never leave you, how he has a great plan for your life, how he will not forsake you, how he will come again and finish all things, how he will, in Romans 8, 28 says, and for those who love God, I will bring everything for the good of those who love me and for my glory, that he has made you promises that you can count on when you're in the midst of suffering. Now let's keep reading. Look at verse 10. Jacob continues praying. Look at the difference. Look at his attitude. He's squeezed. Look what's coming out of him. I am unworthy. 
That's not what I expect to hear from Jacob. I expect Jacob to say, I have a plan, right? But he says, I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. This is the attitude that we should have throughout our life on this journey of many trials, tribulations, and triumphs is that I am so unworthy of all your loving kindness that you have blessed me as. I am nothing but your servant, Lord. This is a beautiful attitude. This is the model that we should follow. And when we're, when we're suffering, I think oftentimes when I'm suffering, maybe not as much physically, but when, I, when things don't turn out the way I want them to, I tend to get prideful. I think, I, Lord, this isn't fair. And, and that's not the right attitude. The right attitude is, Lord, thank you for all the days I've gone without pain. Thank you. I'm so unworthy of the rich blessings of all the spiritual blessings are mine in Christ. Lord, I am so unworthy of your goodness and your grace. I'm just your servant. But I cry out that you remember your promises that you've made me. And then Jacob prays, verse 11, so please deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother. Oh, what a different life if he had prayed these so earlier in life. So instead of scheming, just, Lord, deliver me. I'm trusting you. I'm going to stay faithful, Lord. Deliver me from the hand of my brother Esau. For I, I fear him. He said it. <laughs> he said it. I'm afraid. If we would just stop sometimes and just admit that, Lord, I am afraid. I'm afraid of this diagnosis, and I need you. I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my job. And I need you, Lord. You've promised to care for me. I'm afraid of the direction my kids are going, Lord. And I need you, Lord. You've promised that you will watch over and you'll care for us. What are you afraid of? Just stop being so self-confident and self-reliant and just say, Lord, I'm afraid. And I need you. That's what Jacob's doing. Deliver me. I'm afraid. I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with their children. And when he says that in his prayer, it's like he remembers another promise of God. Lord, I'm afraid he's going to come. He's going to kill me. And he's going to kill my wives. He's going to kill my kids. Then he says, as he continues, verse 12, but you said... I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sands of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. So God, keep your promises. This is Jacob's hope. This is Jacob's confidence. His courage is found in God, keeping God's word and God's promises to him. And the same should be true for us as we struggle, as we go through difficulties, and we want to, to try to man up and be this tough guy or tough girl. We should say, all right, but first let me say, God, my only confidence and hope is in your faithfulness to your promises to me. 
He never promised he wouldn't let us go through difficulty. In fact, he promised you you're going to go through difficulty. But he promised that he will use that difficulty for your good to make you a vessel of blessing and glory to God. So he says, Lord, I have confidence because you promised that you would protect us. So as we keep reading, we see Jacob working up more plans. And at this point, you kind of go, I don't know if these plans are good. I don't know if they're bad. They feel a little silly. They feel like they kind of put Jacob in a little light of, okay, here he goes again to me as a reader because I know how the story ends. I know that Esau comes up and just wraps his arms around him and loves him. And so you kind of feel like it's unnecessary scheming. But we've got to remember, Jacob doesn't know how the story ends yet. He knows his brother hates his guts, wants to kill him, and I'm about to meet him, and there are uh, uh, 400 people coming with him towards me. And so he says, well, let me, let me do this. And so in chapter 32, verse 13, we see he kind of creates this little plan of sending three waves of his animals and his people ahead of him to try to butter up Esau and soften him and so that by the time that Jacob gets there, Esau is kind to him. He says in verse 32, 13, so he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him uh, a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, uh, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. And he delivered them into the hands of his servants, every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on before me, put a space between droves. And he commanded the one in front saying, when my brother Esau meets you and he asks you saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going and to whom do these animals in front of you belong? Here's what I want you to say. And then he goes, this is going to happen three times. And then in verse 20, we see what his desire is. He says, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And then afterwards, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. And so he's got a plan. If you've ever been to uh, South Sudan, this is my experience of animals like this, that when you're walking around village to village and you start seeing these random goats and cows start showing up, you learn after a little experience, okay, there's going to be some boys, little boys, working those cattle that come kind of from the end. And when you see them, all the animals are, have already passed because they're behind bringing them. And so he says that when, when he sees that first cow, he's going to start wondering, well, who is this? And by the time he gets to you, you're going to soften them up a little bit. And then there's going to be another wave, and that'll soften them. And there's going to be another wave. And I'm just hoping that this will satisfy him. This will appease his wrath against me. And so we have to wonder, is this really a different Jacob or is he just trusting in himself and his own plans? At this point, I'm not sure. If the story stopped there, I would say, well, it didn't, I thought it was going to end good for Jacob, but he didn't really learn his lesson. But look at chapter 32, verse 22. In 32, 22, we see something interesting happens. Now, Jacob arose that same night he took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford, which is a stream, of Jabbok. 
He took them and sent them across the stream. And he sent across whatever he had. And Jacob was all alone. And then a man wrestled with him until daybreak. I'm going to put the pronouns in to make it clear. Verse 25. When the man saw that he had not prevailed against Jacob, the man touched Jacob's socket, Jacob's thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. So they've wrestled all night long. Let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go. Unless you bless me. And he said, So the man said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Your name shall no longer be Schemer, one who strives with men. But your name shall now be Israel, one who strives with God. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. We're going to look at what does this mean? He prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and he said, well, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask my name? You know my name. And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been preserved. And now the sun rose upon him, a new day rising, just as he crossed over Peniel, and he was limping on his thigh. He's a different man now. He's walking off into a new day, a new season of life, with a limp, forever changed by God. This scene is a metaphor of Jacob's entire life. This scene explains to us how Jacob has been transformed from a man who was self-reliant, scheming, self-determined, self-made, to a man who has learned through trials, through tribulation, and yes, through triumph. Through it all, Jacob started out thinking it was him and other people. He's wrestling against his father, Isaac. He's wrestling against his brother, Esau. He's wrestling against his uncle, father-in-law, Laban. He's wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. That's what his whole His life has been wrestling, but in it all, there's been another participant that the Bible has made clear that we don't miss. God has been there in all of it. And God has been wrestling him down from his self-reliance to be God-dependent. And the prevailing that we see is, is not Jacob pridefully overcoming God and, and, and having enough faith that God gives him whatever he wants. Instead, the prevailing is, his reward is, his blessing is the limp. 
His blessing is the broken hip that reminds him every day, I need the Lord. I'm nothing. I can't do this. I'm so dependent on God and it's so humbling to need the Lord. And the compassion to see others, as we will see in a few moments, he has the compassion, he has the, the humility, he's learned the, 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 the things that we talked about early, he's learned these from God. And what is the one thing, that, that the most important thing that Jacob does in the wrestling scene? What does he do in the scene? It says, God jumped him in the night. Some man jumped him into the middle of the night when he was by himself. And the one thing we see, yeah, he asked his name, but that's not the important thing. What does he do? He says, I won't let go. That's the point for you today. Don't let go. Don't let go in the middle of it. God is faithful. The, the prevailing comes not so much in his strength, but in his refusal to rely on his own strength. He's not going to let go of God and his strength. And that's what you're doing in the midst. You in your life, what God promises that he won't finish in you is he promises he will never quit teaching you to lean on him. Teaching you to grab hold of him. Teaching you to find him as your strength. Paul says, I asked so many times that this thorn would be removed from me. But I finally realized that God says, no, I'm not going to remove it from you. Because in this you learn you and your weakness aren't enough. But God is strong in our weaknesses. And so God is making Jacob into Israel. The vessel of his blessing, the vessel of his glory to the ends of the earth. And it comes only as Israel or Jacob learns to depend on the Lord for everything. And that's the journey we're on. And it comes through many times suffering. Why are we surprised when God crushed his own son for the forgiveness of our sins. The greatest good that ever happened came through the greatest suffering that ever happened. And so that's the Christian life. We're on a journey where God is with us as we are striving and as we are struggling through trials and through triumph. But all of it, God says, I'm teaching you, don't ever let go of me. So that's the word for us today. Don't let go. As you continue through the journey, as Jacob meets Esau, we see he's humble. He's bowing seven times to Esau. And Esau just reaches up and grabs his neck and kisses him and says, I love you. We see his contentment. He says, Jacob, take, or Esau says to Jacob, Jacob, take all your stuff back. I don't need it. And Jacob says, no, no, 
please take my gift which has been brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me. He says, like, God has just been lavishing me with grace. Let me bless you. That's what happens as we learn the contentment of God's grace in our life. It makes us generous givers. And he is compassionate in 33.12. All the family's tired. The cattle are tired. The kids are tired. And and Esau says, let's go home. And he says, well, let me, you go on ahead. I'm going to wait on my family. So he's learned the compassion, and finally he's learned devotion. When Jacob made it home finally in 3320, he erected an altar and called it El Elho Israel. God, the God of Israel, is his worship, is his focus, is his devotion. So as we come to the Lord's table today, that's what I, I pray that we do during this time. That as we remember what the cross, what the body and the blood of Christ means, it means that he took on himself the ultimate suffering to give us guaranteed victory. He says, I'm not going to disappoint you. I will finish what I started. I will make you holy. I will teach you contentment and compassion and the grace of God. I will make you complete, but you just can't give up. Don't give up on the Lord. And so please bow your head and close your eyes and just spend time with the Lord just in the quiet, listen to the rain on the tin roof. I mean, it's a great setting. The God who sends the rain is the God who is faithful to you every day. Confess to the Lord, Lord, show me what idols are in my heart. Show me what gods I'm depending on instead of trusting you. In the struggle, maybe you've welled up in pride and said it's not fair. I understand that. But you have a priest who has suffered and knows your suffering. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.